This week, Chuck Coughlin returns. We talked about national issues and the national budget last week. This week, we're going to talk about the Arizona budget, recently concluded deal, and other statewide issues with Chuck Coughlin in just a moment. From KTAR News, this is The Think Tank, hosted by Dr. Mike O'Neill. We're back here with Chuck Coughlin and, and talking about a number of things relating to Arizona politics. Top of the heap. Kind of big surprise to, to a lot of folks uh, that uh, we reached a budget deal <laughs> way, way on the early side. It's clear uh, that, frankly, just like the national budget, there was a lot of posturing going on mm-hmm. on the outside where there was uh, essentially some quiet, insane negotiations on in the inside. Yeah. And they cut a deal. Chuck, what that look like? Well, it was pretty uh, unusual. Like you said, I don't think a lot of people really anticipated what was going to go down. Eventually, what happened was the speaker, the president, and the governor all got in a room, looked at the pile of cash that they had on the table. Which was a big pile. A big pile of cash, over $2 billion in one-time cash, and said, uh, you know, how do we divvy this up? The speaker and the president uh, came up with an idea that I think it was actually the president's idea. Well, let's just give each member a number of how much money they have and uh, let them spend it as long as they're an eye on the budget. And uh, that created a uh, a deal, obviously, uh, that wasn't really far policy reaching, some, some good policy stuff in it, um, but uh, that satisfied everybody's demands. The governor got uh, a good deal of uh, um, money for homelessness, uh, for housing. Um, There was some significant increases to one-time spending on public education, and there was some additional money put into um, uh, um, the base budget for public education. Uh, But she was criticized for obviously not getting anything done on the voucher program, no caps on the voucher, no oversight on the voucher. Uh, voucher program, which has now grown to nearly a billion dollars. Well, and in it's gr- and it's grown from five hundred million to a yeah. billion. Yeah. in the last two weeks. Yeah, it's, as it's, because this was let me explain and tell me if you think I got this right. This is not an appropriated item. This is an entitlement like Social Security, and the cost is so much for every student that signs up, regardless of how many sign up. So you can't know what that is until. People actually sign up. And at the time of the budget, nobody had signed up. In the last two weeks, sort of, we've reached the threshold of deadline or something. We kind of have an idea now how many have signed up. Yeah, and JLBC underestimated the number Mm -hmm. of families that would come forward with their kids literally in private school and said, I'm going to take the free money. And why why wouldn't they? Uh, And that's essentially what's happened. Um, the, uh, the, those who were against vouchers seem to have – their projections seem to have been right on the head in yeah. terms of yeah. the extremely high proportion of people who are getting these vouchers who were already in private school. So there's no savings to the state and they were – it, it's a subsidy to uh, people on the high end of the income stream. Yeah, the irony of ironies though is it used to be Republicans arguing against spending for mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. Now Republicans are in favor of it. But Democrat. not public education. Right. Um, but there was money in the budget for uh, Title I schools. They did get more money into the base uh, for for those schools, as we have done in the last couple of years. Um, and so it is a is a existing tension that's going on. 
I would suspect that there will be some oversight of these things and some clawing back of uh, of monies over time that are inappropriately spent in this program. But like the, like know, the trips to Disneyland for yeah, educational purposes. Right. We don't know what those are right now, mm-hmm. um, but you can be sure that the attorney general is going to be looking at those things very closely. Uh, and Tom Horn's office, the superintendent, will be looking at those things very closely, and the legislature is going to be looking at it. But yeah, that was part of it. She was criticized on by the left for not getting anything done. But essentially, I don't think what the budget. If was, I could comment on that, I don't yeah. think the budget was the place to do that. Right. Democrats have been adamantly against this. It wasn't, but happen. that was voted on last year, and the yeah. Republicans won. Right. And I, I, I have kind of this opposite view of what happened in Arizona, or the same view, really. Right. Uh, with the national deal, I said, right. you've already you've already appropriated this. This is national talking. You know, we're just going to pay the bills on what we already spent. And in Arizona, they'd already voted yeah. for vouchers. Democrats were opposed, but they were outvoted. Yeah. The, it, you know, I think the only way you're going to claw back vouchers is when you get, if you get ever a Democratic trifecta. Right. Both houses and the governor. I think vouchers are out in a minute. But until then, you got vouchers. Well, you'll be at least cap them, probably mm-hmm. what you'll see then. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. This is something that the Republican majorities in both chambers were not going to swallow. So what they did, essentially, this could characterize the entire budget, is push all of the controversial issues off the table, decided to let the money speak for what our priorities are, put a budget together and put it on the floor, and it passes now, with bipartisan Let me support. ask you about one of the more intriguing things, and you just alluded to it, and that was the business about each legislator gets <laughs> a pile of money, and by arithmetic, if it's $2 billion, that's about $200 million per legislator. Did they actually do that, and they say, I want my $200 million to go here? And- it wasn't $200 million, but I can't remember what the number was. But yes, the majority caucus <laughs> was told, you're going to vote on the budget. This is your money, and you can you can use it as you will. And, and that was them, both everybody, both both parties. No, no. The, the minority caucus was given a number, but the re- Republican majority was giving individual numbers. Oh. A number of them pooled that resources to get a tax cut. There was a, a tax uh, cut bill. So they spent uh, their place. money by putting it into a tax yes. cut. Which I must say, if you're against. Uh, Again, spending more was a very cagey thing to do because in Arizona, you can cut taxes with a majority vote, but you need a super majority that we will never get to raise them. So they have enacted by doing that a permanent cut. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. And so there was all kinds of creative ways where uh, Republicans uh, were spending money. A lot of money on infrastructure projects. It was a great deal of money on road and maintenance and all kinds. And that was Republican allocations that went there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you say that the Republicans had individual discretion, whereas in the case of the Democrats, it was a collective. Yeah, I think, well, they left that up to the minority caucus leaders. They said, here's your number and you you guys go deal with it the way you want to. And the the way the Democrats wanted to deal was a collective as a caucus. Well, the deal came down pretty quickly. It yeah. came uh, came together like on a Thursday, mm-hmm. and they voted it on a Monday. So there really wasn't, I think, there. and actually that was one of the criticisms, is that the minority leadership was not uh, kept abreast of what was happening and didn't have time to react to it. 
I think they were told that, um, particularly by, by by their Republican brethren, this is coming. You better get on board. And they pretty much said, well, we'll leave it up to the governor. Well, the governor's deal got cooked. It was out on the table and it was in front of them. And the initial reaction from a ma- number of the minorities was to complain about it. Because they weren't at the table, they right? They weren't at you the ha- table. You know, and thinking right. about the arithmetic on that, I certainly understand why that's the case. Right. In order to get a budget passed, you need a majority of the legislature. That means Republicans. Yep. You also need the governor's signature. Okay, the governor's a Democrat. You do not need the Democrats. 31, 16, <laughs> and 1. I mean, math. you literally, right. now, it never would happen quite this way, but you could literally have a budget passed by Republicans only and signed by a Democratic governor. I don't think she'd do it. Right. That wouldn't be an acceptable, whatever they right. they would pass, 31, right. 31 would. And that, that was the, that was the um, uh, some of the criticism of the process. Mm-hmm. And that is why I think of ultimately there was a change in um, staff structure in the governor's office following the budget. Uh, mm-hmm. She's asked Chad Campbell to step in, who is a former minority leader, who I think there was some uh, mm-hmm. tension in yeah. the minority caucus, as you said, about yeah. not being part of the process. I think he will rectify that in the future. And, uh, Chad's a good guy. I think yeah, that was a great – right. many times, and, and I think it was a great appointment. Yeah. We yeah. were kidding. The night uh, the governor announced his appointment, there was a video circulating on my on my uh, text uh, screen <laughs> of a, of him – and Governor Brewer, when Governor Brewer was governor, because he, he and he starts off his comments. He's in the press conference. You can see Jan off in the wings a little bit. And he goes, who would have ever thought that I'd gotten two pens from Governor Brewer? And she comes up and she puts her arm around him. She goes, behave. And he, everybody in the room starts laughing. But that was the Medicaid restoration bill that he was a part of when uh, she got that done. Well, I, I remember kidding with him when he was on the show here and saying, well, uh, you were minority leader, and by my assessment, that means you were in charge of approximately nothing. Yeah, <laughs> nobody was. And yeah. some of that stuff, they, I mean, there were years when, I mean, when, when Jan was governor at the outset, after we got those two-thirds majorities in both chambers after 10, we used to call the Democratic caucus the pizza caucus mm-hmm. because there was one, you could literally feed them all with one pizza because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of them in there. And so now that's quite different. Interesting, though, comparison. To uh, I'm going to go back Napolitano years. Yeah, she faced a much bigger spread of uh, yes. the proportion of Republicans, which much higher. Yes, but they were Republicans who were much more folks mm-hmm. that you could work with. Jake Flake. I mean, I mean we have yep. now a razor thin majority Republican majority, yeah. but there's a lot of crazies. Yeah, in that Jake group. Flake and Ken Bennett were the Senate mm-hmm. president and the speaker at the time and both very amiable people and be able to work with but again that's a that's different it's different era. It's a t- totally different era where this partisanship mm-hmm. this hardcore maga yeah. partisanship and progressive not just on the left but on the mm-hmm. or on the right but on the left too. Mm-hmm. Where you know you you become identity politics, both sides, mm-hmm. and you're not willing to compromise, and so uh, that is more infected the body today, and and it creates a much bigger challenge to getting things done today. Moving from the budget, yeah. water. Tell me about water. Well, there's a big announcement the governor made uh, a few days ago with Tom Bushatsky, the head of the Arizona Department of Water Resources, who's in charge of determining if there is enough water in uh, most unincorporated areas to approve housing developments and new housing. 
And uh, she alluded to this during her State of the State speech earlier this year. She she uh, pointed out that the previous governor had not published a study on the Hasiampa Basin, which is out in the in the Buckeye area. Um, and and sequestered that and kept it undercover, which was essentially saying we don't have water to build mm-hmm. in this area. Um, she got that out. What she did uh, about a week ago was to say uh, in most areas of Maricopa County that are unincorporated, there isn't sufficient water to approve a 100-year water certificate for future development. So the department will not be issuing any further certificates. Yeah. You can't you can't build in Arizona Which is without a hundred year guaranteed in, in, supply. What 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 was troubling about it was the announcement really wasn't followed right away with where that was impacted. Mm-hmm. That has sort of come to light since then. It's mostly in the far West Valley, west of the Hacienpas, um and and parts of the West Valley, and then the Southeast Valley, the Santan Valley and Queen Creek. Um, where there, there there exists not enough groundwater to sustain future development, and there is huge development. There's out there. big development out there. And, I tripped. I took a trip out there a few weeks ago yeah, for the first time, and I said, "Oh my God! I thought this was farmland." No, and no. They we're talking right. hundreds of thousand people. This so the home builders are very upset. Yeah. Um, they 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 think there's. You know, hundred or tens of thousands of building permits that will not mm-hmm. be issued now. But the New York Times headline on the other side was, you know, growth in Phoenix stops, which is an equally wrong yeah. conclusion because most of the development, as we know, exists within cities. And cities have a hundred, have water certificates um, to continue to issue building mm-hmm. permits. So most cities all have them. And all are in charge of their own development. Uh, And there is an adequate water supply to deal with those. You know, particularly if you're in a Salt River Project Mm -hmm. area, um, Salt River Project, that watershed that serves the Salt River Project customers has become incredibly productive uh, over the many, many decades, Mm -hmm. whereas Colorado has declined. Um, the Salt River Project. Now, the problem is you're you're not sharing water off project. That yeah. project water is project water. Yeah, and, so, had, and it will stay there. We've had a lot of folks on the, on the show over the year, yeah. experts in water. And what I've learned is it is unbelievably complicated. We yes. do not have one pile of water. Yeah, that is divvied up. We have multiple streams, if you can excuse yeah. the phrase, and aquifers. And, <laughs> yes, yeah. and and it comes from lots of places. And there's lot, that's how you can have Highly craziness technical. like the the uh, Saudi alfalfa farm because right. when they rented that farm, they got the water rights. They even got though the water you look rights. at that and you say it is crazy to be growing alfalfa out there in the first place. And if it's the Saudis doing it to feed their horses, it's outrageous. Yes, it's doubly stupid. But and so. So that was a big announcement that further will need to be clarified in the coming weeks uh, that there's rural groundwater legislation that has failed to pass that my firm's been involved with for the past four years to trying to get some type of rural groundwater management done because right now 80 percent of the state has no rural groundwater has no groundwater regulation you can drop a drop a well in and go as deep as you want and pump 5000 gallons a minute and there's nobody to tell you no and that's obviously a problem if you have an adjacent well because your well goes dry and that's actually happened in Cochise County in places up in Mojave County and La Paz County counties we've been talking about and there is a need for something like that i remember in 1980 
Yeah. We had a groundwater act that was viewed as absolutely visionary. But that's a long time ago now. Yeah. <laughs> and and nothing's o- forever. And it only impacted those counties that CAP water was being delivered to. It was mm-hmm. Maricopa, Pinal, Pima, uh, um, <laughs> Santa Cruz, uh, and uh, I'm leaving one out. Uh, but Most yeah. of the people, maybe half the land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so um, th- that was Babbitt's always his idea to have it apply to everybody. But he wasn't going to fight a fight with rural. That's the fight we're having now with rural, uh, you know, ranchers, farming interests that are not interested in having any type of additional groundwater management in areas that they can currently control. And so that's a challenge. And so we're trying to work on that right now and trying to get something done. But it will, as was it was pointed out in the governor's announcement, there will be constraints eventually on what you can grow and where you can grow it and the irrigation that you will use to do it. And there will be constraints on future growth in some of these areas that just aren't sustainable anymore. So legislature is going back in session. Yes, they are. What's on the agenda? Well, um, there's some, uh, some, some housing legislation um, that's been bantied back and forth for some time. Um, it appears to me that there may be a compromise in the offing on that. Um, what, what do you mean? How, well, what, what's it, the housing it's, issue? It's um, desirous of over, you know, uh, nullifying local zoning, which is a bad idea uh, mm-hmm. because that's going to create all kinds of problems with private property rights. Um, and uh, and and that portion of it, I believe, has been with will be withdrawn from the legislation, mm-hmm. and they'll work more along the lines of incentivizing um, development uh, in areas for low income housing and for mm-hmm. affordable housing. So, a bigger uh, efforts by the legislature to address the housing crisis and create uh, more uh, affordable housing opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, improvements maybe in the way. That cities um, approve zoning, uh, approve developments, maybe time, time uh, requirements for them to address change. As we all know, when you go through a local zoning process, it's not easy. It takes a lot of time to get through all those things. And so all of those things seem to be coming together. Maybe there will be a compromise on that. But the, the other the two biggest ideas that are on the table in the upcoming in the session are the Prop 400 extension which is the half-cent sales tax for Maricopa mm-hmm. County that funded our transportation for the last 40 years. And is running out in the next year or two. 25. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up. Uh, and we, we got a bill up to Governor Ducey a year ago, and he vetoed it uh, over an insider deal with Michelle Ugenti Reed to get her vote on vouchers. Uh, <laughs> and so that went away. Uh, we're now struggling with an even more conservative legislature who has objected to the transit investments in much of it, particularly the light rail investments, which are mostly inner city investments of which none of them represent. And so, you know, and the other irony of ironies is Maricopa County is the only county in the state that requires legislative approval for a transportation Which election. is, of course, bizarre in the sense that usually you give greater autonomy to right. large. And Maricopa County is bigger than half the states in America. Exactly. You know? And so so the the there's holdouts down there on getting a deal on uh, on a, a, a transit 
um, appropriation or transit agreement. Mm-hmm. It still has to go to the voters um, that would be approved uh, by the legislature to put in front of the voters. So that has been hooked in the speaker's mind to a desire on the part of the legislature to eliminate the residential rental uh, tax um, for that 91 cities in the state use. Oh, residential only. Residential only, rental mm-hmm. tax that they use to fund um, their general operating budgets, which, mm-hmm. as we know, most all municipalities, over 50% of their budget is public safety, either police or fire. And so it is a significant amount of money that um, these cities get from that rental tax, and they want to eliminate it. Well, then the question comes back, well, are you going to replace that? When do you do that? Um, and how does that come about? And so that has been discussed as well. Um, and maybe, maybe there's an idea towards a compromise here that may be acceptable to the residents uh, or to the mayors and simultaneously re- acceptable to the to the legislature. Mayors obviously we need will, the yeah, revenue stream. Right. They need the revenue stream. They want Prop 400. They, there's a lot of give and take here, and mm-hmm. there's going to have to be an agreement or there won't be. So we'll find out if that happens. A final matter. I don't want to conclude without acknowledging the, the sad case of Bill Gates. This man is a hero. This man is, was an honest broker in, in putting forth an honest election, and he was besieged by people. He had to move out of his house uh, under both emotional and physical threats himself and his family. And he was an honest civil servant who just took it. And basically, he just reached the breaking point. I understand he's, uh, the reports of him suffering through P- PTSD mm-hmm. and, and emotional turmoil, as well as fear of risk to his family. So a word about Bill Gates. If you He's know. a friend of mine, uh, also a client. We represent Maricopa County. Um, I've always thought the world of Bill. Uh, he was on the Phoenix City Council. He's the same guy he was then as he is today. He is, as you say, just a, a, a public servant. He just mm-hmm. wants to make government work. And he saw this illegitimate attack, attack and he took up the reins of defending it vociferously. He's a lawyer. A well-trained lawyer, very smart, very rational. You just can't deal with irrational behavior. And he's been subject to that criticism and attack from that portion of the electorate that's still in election denial. And his family suffered as a result of it, and he suffered as a result of it. I'm reminded, uh, you know, of the word, uh, ancient Hebrew word called sadikim, sadiks, they call them sadiks. And it's people who sacrifice themselves for the good of the community, and that's the highest level of public service. And Bill did that. Bill did that on behalf of all of us. So proud of him. Wrote him a note the other day uh, just congratulating him on what a great job he did. And he'll be remembered very very well, whether whatever he chooses to do, if he chooses to get back into this game or not. Um, I think what he's also disappointed on, he, he was thinking he was doing the right thing, and he thought that would be rewarded elect, you know, electorally. Mm-hmm. And as we see today, when you do the right thing, you often lose your job. You know, doing the right thing is often equated with losing your job in politics. And uh, he chose not to run again. There are other supervisors that are still contemplating that. Clint Hickman, same situation, same type of noble defense. Uh, Jack Sellers, same type of defense. Uh, uh, and um, uh, the one from, uh, I'm blanking, uh, Tom, uh, uh, Tom, shoot, uh, who represents the Scottsdale uh, 
North uh, North Phoenix area, um, who came on in replace of Steve Chukri, who who betrayed the board uh, and uh, had to leave. Uh, and so uh, they've replaced him with another guy who's defended the board. And so he will be running against Michelle Eugenti Rita in the reelection this next time. So he's going to face the consequences and see if he can survive that. Um, but it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. All three of them are noble, noble mm. people and are are great Americans. Well, the book Profiles in Courage yeah. was about people who did the right thing knowing that they would pay a consequence. If they were to write a um, sequel to this, I'm afraid it would be a short book, but uh, yeah. guys like Bill well, Gates will be in but it. But, you know, in my career, I've been blessed to be around people like that a lot. At Governor Symington, at Governor Brewer, raised taxes in the middle of a recession, mm-hmm. uh, expanded Medicaid. Medicaid. I've been around Rusty mm-hmm. Bowers my entire career. Unbelievable mm-hmm. public servant. You know, I've been blessed to be able to see people who have who have done that. I would even say our current speaker, who's had to deal with his own caucus in mm-hmm. very uh, very hard ways, but Mr. Toma is another guy mm-hmm. I, I respect greatly. I've been blessed. It's certainly not a majority of people I run mm-hmm. into, but you do run into them, and they are there today uh, of people who stand up and do the right thing. And I, I'm I, proud I, to say they're I, my friends. I just hope, as a final comment, that uh, there are because these people do tend to fall by the wayside and do tend to pay price. I just hope that there is a continuing line of people to replace them of the same ilk. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have more great heroes to talk about in the future. That would be a hopeful view. I hope so. Chuck Coughlin, we'll see you next week in the thing. 